welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley. I refer to myself as the Hacker Maker because I'm passionate about helping others get started in offensive cybersecurity, becoming pen testers, bug bounty hunters, as well as red team operators. And each episode, I have a really interesting and unique guest. And this episode is uh, no exception. I have Lewis from Pentester Labs with me today, uh, which is one of the resources I first used for web app pen testing when I was getting started. It's a really great resource. Uh, a lot of people in the bug bounty community uh, are recommending it. And one of the things I really like uh, that it's awesome about Lewis is he's so generous with, with his uh, resource. I mean, he is notoriously giving away free passes and especially to, you know, different groups, underrepresented people and conferences, different things. So it's awesome to see someone that's passionate about education, which is something I'm as pa- I'm passionate about as well. So uh, welcome to the show, Lewis. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. And thanks for the introduction. People can't tell, but I'm actually blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's really an awesome, awesome uh, resource. Resource you got there, and I really like the way it, that you've kept it up to date and keep adding new content. Because some, the the most difficult thing about finding resources is finding something that's up to date. Because sometimes people build it, they don't update it, and it gets outdated. There's still some value, but not as much as something that's constantly being updated. Uh, so before we get into that, let me why don't you introduce uh, yourself to our viewers, our listeners, so. Uh, they can find out a little bit more about you. Okay, so my name is Louis um, Nifenegger. I'm based in Australia, and I'm the founder, CEO, security engineer, content creator for Pentester Lab. So I got all these uh, nice hats. Uh, I've been working on Pentester Lab since, I think, 2012, and three, four years ago, no, maybe five years ago now, we started. I started like a paid version named Pentestella Pro. And then I keep I kept growing it and now it's becoming like a pretty big thing that people really enjoy and really like. Um, and that's what I do. Um, I'm really passionate about helping people and trying to get people either like from zero to becoming someone who can work as a pen tester or even bringing people who are already pen testers to the next level. And for example, looking at things like uh, code review or of two or things like that. So I'm and I'm yeah, I'm really passionate about it and everything appsec, everything pen, web pen testing or application security. 
So that's why I teach people this and yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, could you share how, how, how did you get started? I mean, this is, there's a lot of people watch this, listen to this podcast to, you know, find out how to get started. And those stories that people share are very helpful. So could you kind of, uh, tell us how you got your start? So I went like the academic path. So I started, uh, I went to uni when, then I went to an engineering school in France. And when I started, like when I, so to enter the engineering school, I had to like write a letter saying like why I wanted to go there. And I wanted to be like an embedded system engineer. And then at school, uh, I met someone who was really into security. And I start like looking into security more and more and got really passionate about it. And so I ended up doing like my engineering school plus a master in security. And then I moved, I got like an internship in security in a pretty good um, consultancy in France and worked there for a few years before moving to Australia. So I got like really one of the few academic paths for people my age, because at the time it was pretty rare to have like a master in securities because it, like they were very, very rare at the time. And yeah, so yeah, academic path for me. Not sure it's the right way right now, but that's the way I did it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's interesting because, you know, we have people, you know, self-taught paths, people that went the certification route. And it's good to see some, you know, to hear someone's experience that went the academic route because it's still, you know, some people may argue it's not a good way, but there are some good things. And one of the things I share with people that if you go the route of, you know, going through the university, going the degreed route, that there are opportunities for internship programs and there's not really the case when you do self-study you know it's hard to try to get an internship without being in a college yeah i think that's one of the thing is i think there is no there isn't a one path there are multiple paths and you need to find the one that works for you and i think the good thing with going through like university and things like that is that you learn a lot of different things and probably if i didn't go to university i would be like a system engineer right now like Linux embedded system. And I would be pretty happy too, but uh, I like security so much more, I think now. So thanks to like going to university and meeting other people who really liked security, I started working in security and that kind of changed my life. And yeah, so that's why you can't, like it doesn't work for everyone, but you can't discount the academic path. Yeah. And, and it seems like too, there's some of those classes that you take going the, you know, the degreed route that you might not take normally. And, and you probably, there's probably chances that people discover things they like that they wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, or even like hate things and at university and then realize like, I wish I had, like, I paid attention. Like, uh, for example, I'm, I'm really passionate about crypto and, but when I was in at uni, I hated it. I like, I was like, I just wanted to be over. I, just, <laughs> I hate it. Like it's too, like too much mathematics and stuff like that. And, but now I got this foundation that I can go back to. And without that, without school forcing me to get good grades, to get to pass, I probably would have never looked at crypto until like a few years ago. So I think it, it helps to like broaden your knowledge and look at other things. Yeah, that's true. There's, you know, 
doing things sometimes that aren't exactly fun or you want to do, then, you know, molds us and helps us out. I mean, there's things I did throughout my career, you know, cause I went the sysadmin route. So learning the OSI model, learning subnetting and all that stuff, you know, was really painful when you did it. And then later on, you know, learning the OSI model, you see how things work and you see some value in that. But at the time you're going through it, you don't. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one thing as well is uh, a big gotcha is uh, most, like a lot of good school in France are free. So, oh, barely cost anything. So it's like a caveat I need to put in. Like, it, <laughs> I think when you pick the academic path nowadays, sometimes it's an expensive exercise. So you need to be aware about that. At the time, like in France, I barely had to pay anything to go to university. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's one of the things here. Like in the U.S., a lot of people end up racking up a lot of academic debt, debt going to going to school. And then you know, if you went, I actually taught for a while. I just recently uh, quit teaching at a community college here in Texas. And so, you know, for some people, they're trying to get started out. You know, if you're in countries that have like uh, community colleges, sometimes that's a, a less expensive way to start out you know, to do two years of college there and go on to four years if you want. So that's some of the options that we have. Yeah, that's good to be able to taste, taste the water before jumping in. And yeah. And, and so uh, what kind of motivated you to start Pentester Lab? What was the motivation? So it was a long time ago and I was, I did a training at a local conference named RaxCon. I did like a web training and I end up with all of this content, all these challenges that were like just sitting around. I was like, oh, I should probably share them. And so I started like doing like a version with where I was selling a PDF and an ISO. And it was something like, I don't know, 12 US dollar or something like that. But after six months, I only had like a few customers. So I decided to go to the like free route and like give everything for free. And it did that for probably four or five years. And so there, there is a lot of free content on Pentestalab. And then I like classic story, you know, you get kids and you're like, oh, should I spend my weekend creating free labs or should I probably text, spend time with my kids? So I thought like, let's try and do like a paid version and see like if it takes off or not. And I spent probably the next three years doing both full-time job and Pentestalab which was pretty hard and I was pretty busy at the time, especially with like uh, young kids and like Pentacelab took off really well. And yeah, so I, I probably could have stopped before, but I really liked the job I was working at. It was like, I was uh, in an AppSec team at uh, Fitbit and the team was amazing. So I kept going and going until I couldn't do both anymore. And it was just too much work and yeah. Yeah, and I see that there's, a, you know, it's very popular in the bug bounty community. I notice a lot of uh, the big names in bug bounty are recommending the, you know, the content to learn, you know, web app pen testing. So that's, it's pretty good. Like I said, it's nice that it's continued to, you continue to update it and, and improve upon it, add content to it, but to get buy-in from the, uh, the bug bounty community is pretty good because, you know, they're, they're, pretty picky about the content they use and you know there's a lot of well-known content out there you really don't see them mentioning so that's kind of a statement of of how good the the content is thanks yeah i'm trying to gather for everyone from 
complete beginner to advanced people. So I think um, a lot of people in the Bagmantic community are moving more and more towards doing code review to find more bugs because they have like either like access to the source code because it's an open source library or things like that. And we have like code review challenges, so that really helps for that. We also have labs around uh, OAuth 2 and SAML. And that's, those are things that company, like bug companies running bug bounty use a lot. So that really helps people like skill up. And because in my opinion, there is like a good way to learn how to hack things and it's to practice. You can like read a lot of books. It's, it's interesting. It gives you like the foundation for the knowledge, but uh, it doesn't really like gives you like the hands-on and the feeling for it and like when things work, how they work, why they work and all these things. And that's why I think like hands-on training is so important. Yeah, I agree with that. And what's kind of interesting uh, was while I was teaching, I was at a restaurant and my server was asking me, he found out that I was teaching at a, at a college and he was asking me why do my friends that have two-year degrees have an easier time finding jobs than, than myself. And in the U.S., this may not be all universities, but a lot of the colleges that are four-year colleges, they don't have the hands-on. So some of the colleges that are teaching Cisco uh, technologies, you know, sometimes they'll say labs if time per permits. So they don't always get the hands-on. And so one of the things about the two-year schools, the community colleges, there's a lot of hands-on stuff, you know, so the people are getting hands-on learning how to use the the tools and stuff before they get a job. And so they're able to, you know, get a job easier than the people that aren't getting a hands-on experience. Yeah, exactly. I, I learned Cisco at university without a Cisco device, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty odd. Like, and it's just like learning command and learning how it works and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't think, I don't have a lot of, I don't remember a lot of uh, about this. Like, I think, and that's because when you when you read books, often you learn the uh, the good path, like the perfect path. Everything is working. The reality is like, oh, you put a single code instead of a double code. You put uh, a, your like text editor change like a code with like a, one of these fancy codes, and all these little details that you can only learn by doing things and. And I think a good part of pen testing is um, understanding what is your mistake or what why things didn't work the way you they were attended attending to work. Like, um, is it you that did something wrong? Is it uh, your text editor? Is it the server that is vulnerable or not vulnerable? And trying to find all these little details and put them together to build a picture of what an issue may or may not be. I think that's where like hands-on can be beaten. Like there's no better way than yeah, getting yeah, and, and speaking of that too, you know, just cause thinking of bug bounties, you're finding bugs. So something gets updated to a different version that's in the book. You're not going to be able to predict what's going to happen. So hands-on yeah. is definitely, definitely needed. So for someone getting getting started out, what would you recommend? If someone was wanting to be a pen tester, uh, what would you recommend? What would be your recommended path? I know you went the academic route, and so you know what you did. So from trial and error, your experience, what would you recommend for someone that was just getting started out? 
So I think um, try to build up on what you already know. Like you certainly, whatever you do in life, you probably like skilled at at least a few things. You could be like a developer. You could be like a person who is like, uh, as he, like he's uh, skilled in communication. You are a good writer. You are like a good communicator or like try to, use these skills to like find something you're good at in security. Like if you in uh, if if you're a developer, probably look at doing code review or writing uh, security tooling or things like that. If you're a good communicator, maybe look at uh, getting into uh, public speaking or social engineering and leverage your best skills to get like an entry inside security. If you're a good writer, do write-ups on bugs of other people. You don't even need to find the bugs. Use someone else's bugs. And as the person, even like, oh, is it okay if I use your bugs to demonstrate things? And try to leverage your skills to like get an, like a foot in the door. And then you can grow your skills and other skills. Like you can get either like if you're a good communicator, try to be try to increase your uh, technical skill set. If you're a good writer, try to increase your communication and uh, technical skill set. If you're like a good developer, try to look at more like communication and offensive skill set. Like try to leverage what you already have, even if it's completely unrelated to security, to get a foot in the door. And then you can build on that. Great advice. And I really like the you, you doing the write-ups from other people's bugs because so many times you'll hear people recommend, say, you know, do, you know, hack the box, try hack me or these different vulnerable VMs or CTFs and do write-ups based on what you did. So that's a good idea to, to, to demonstrate because, you know, when you're doing pen tests, a lot of the vulnerabilities you're going to find are stuff that already exists. And I know from my experience as a pen tester, uh, I spent my first five years consulting one of the companies I work for. Of course, we do Nessus scans, but we do manual testing and stuff too. But whatever output we got from Nessus we couldn't just put that canned response in our reports. We had to completely write our own write-up on it. So I think that's that's good advice that I think people really aren't really sharing that piece. They do the, talk about doing the write-ups, but not really writing up other vulnerabilities because you could go out on different vulnerability databases and or go out in the last top 10 and write those up. Like the premise, um, so that's the problem that CTF kind of uh, solve is that you don't know when you're doing when you want to start in bug bounty, you don't know if something is vulnerable or if it's not vulnerable or if you just didn't test it right. So my advice would just like look at someone uh, write up on HackerOne or Bugcrad, look at uh, CVs, look at exploits written by other people and try to understand what they do. Try to do a write-up, try to create content around it. And because at least you know that the bug is here. And most of the time, as you said, like uh, most people doing pen testing, doing AppSec, doing a red team, they're not finding uh, new bug classes. They're just finding an instance of a bug class someone else found like 10 or 20 years ago. So you need to, and so you need to, uh, instead of looking for new bugs, new bug class, or instead of uh, trying to find new bugs, try to look when you start 
add bugs that already exist in library that you know of and try to dig as deep as you can as well. Um, like retweeting someone talking about CV 2021, whatever, 33564, doesn't get you much. But get to the CVE, look at the source code before, look at the source code after, do a write-up, uh, build a tiny labs where you can like look at it and see like what is happening, how to exploit it, uh, can you bypass the patch, and things like that. You will, you're going to learn so much. And yeah. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. It's kind of interesting. Something that that I've seen some people talk about recently, and Joe Helly, the mayor had mentioned this advice to people to go out and look for some of the different uh, free and open source stuff out there. It could be like software that they use in healthcare. It could be used for hotel management and find those applications, download it and try to find vulnerabilities because he says from being free and open source, they're not really getting the attention it needs from being tested and, and you can find these bugs to get your own CVEs. So that's one of the things he he recommends that uh, this kind of made me think of. I think it's a good way as well. Like if you do that, if you look at existing bugs um, and or bugs in open source, it's a good thing as well you're doing is that you don't measure success in the same way. If you like spend 20 hours, 40 hours doing bug bounty testing as a beginner, you're most likely not going to find anything and you're going to be like, oh, okay, I'm not learning. I'm not getting better. You can't measure your success because either like most likely you're not going to find anything or you're going to do like everyone else and say like, okay, why is I only made like $100 where everyone is doing like five, six, 10K or 40K? Where like if you're looking at bugs that already got found by someone else, you can measure success in your term of how much understanding you get from it. And then if you keep doing that again and again, you will find that you find bugs uh, faster and faster. And then you will be able to like, okay, that's my, that's, I see that I'm learning because I think that's something uh, people get frustrated pretty easily because they're like, oh, I read like uh, the web application handbook and then I spent like 40, 200 hours doing bug bounty and didn't find anything. And then we got discouraged and like, yeah, I'm not breaking into security. And yeah, like you need to find um, steps that are not too small, but not too big. And then you can increase the size of the step every time you're progressing, but yeah. You need to find this little step at the beginning to like learn and be happy and be like be successful. So this way you're getting more and more successful and you build up like uh, knowledge over time. And, and I think <laughs> and I, and I think some people get discouraged sometimes because they're finding duplicates. And I always tell people if you're finding a duplicate, you're finding something. So it's just only a matter of time before you're on a program that you find it first. And when you're going through an interview you can describe how you found this, this bug, you know, this vulnerability. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like even like doing labs, like uh Pentester lab or others, like uh, Akin the box, use that when you're doing interview, like instead of sm as well, like instead of smashing labs, I can see like um, looking at people learning all the time and I can see people like smashing labs. And at the end you feel like when, labs get harder, it's like the beginner again because they didn't take the time to understand things and go deep on like the subject. 
But if you go deep on like a few subjects, like peak, I don't know, learn a lot about JWT. I love JWT. They're the best thing ever. Uh, <laughs> OOF2, SAML, SQL injection. Try to go deep on subject. Like um, I used to hire people to uh, work in my team as pen tester. And I would prefer having someone who has deep knowledge on a few subjects and is average or even a low everywhere else than someone who is average everywhere. Because when you manage a team, you kind of want this, uh, this cross-pollinization between people who are really good at a few things. And then all your team go up a level and instead of being average, they average plus because other people in the team can train them. So instead of being average everywhere, try to be really good at a few things. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up too, because that's one of the things I think for people who are experienced is it's a good idea to try to specialize in something because if you see people that are really good at something like uh, Jason Haddix or, you know, Naham Sek or these guys that are really good at web app pen testing and stuff or bug bounty, you're not hearing them talk about Active Directory hacking or PowerShell and this sort of thing they focus. So I think that's a good point you bring up. So people, if they specialize, it's better to you get to be more of an expert than just like you said, be an average at everything or just know a little bit, but not really necessarily be good. Yeah. And I think the thing is very like when you keep learning and learning, you sometimes hit like this plateau and you're like, okay, like you tempted to go to something else because it's easier than trying to really work on that plateau to get to the next level. And that's why, um, like getting really good at something will help you with is that you're going to learn how to like uh, fight this plateau and find solution around them to get to the next level. And then you can uh, move that knowledge to other things. And it's really like, there are very few people who are really good at everything in security. Like if you look at, uh, if you talk to like public speakers or people writing tools, they're really good at one or few niches they're not like, uh, for example, I don't know much about like Active Directory and that also reflects in Pentester Lab. Pentester Lab is a platform to learn application, web application security because I want to uh, like provide the best platform for this and I don't want to have something that is average and teach you like a bit of everything in an average way. I want to be the best platform to teach people web and applica application security. Yeah, it makes sense. Even going back to the different tools, you got like Harm Joy from SpectreOps. So he writes a lot of stuff for Active Directory, Byte Bleeder with his tools for hacking Windows passwords and stuff. So yeah, definitely, yeah, that's uh, some some very good points and and some examples to share. So as far as someone getting started in, in like web app pen testing, so would you recommend learning a little bit about coding itself on how to you know how to build web applications? Do you think that would be helpful? I think it helps a lot. Uh, it's um, it's going to give you like um, a good idea of like how things work and a better understanding of the HTTP protocol um, because this way you will understand uh, the security model of how like the client and the server communicate and what is done on what side. And it really helps as well. Like again, when you hit a plateau to start doing code review or or uh, writing code. Um, 
Again, same thing. Don't do what everyone does. A lot of people are like, okay, I'm going to spend like a week learning JavaScript, a week learning Golang, and then a week learning Python, and then a week learning Java. Try to get really good at one language, like really, really, really good. Like you can, like you can write complex code. You can write uh, code without googling stuff. Like I'm not talking like really like big things, but like if you're able to already like send an HTTP request, read and write files, and do basic like regular expression in a language, you're probably better than a lot of people if you don't if you can do that without googling every error message or every function you're using. And that's going to speed you up, and then you're going to be faster and faster. And if you're faster to do things, you're faster to learn, you're faster to do everything. So try to work on your velocity as well. Like, yeah. Good advice. Yeah, yeah, coding, I think, like, I even recommend to my accountant to learn, like, how to do, like, uh, Excel macro and stuff like that. Because, like, I see so many people doing stuff that spending so much time. I'm like, yeah, learn, like, Unix 101 and learn like a bit of coding and you're going to be so much faster in life. Like, and yeah, even unrelated to hacking, like even for my yeah. accountant, I don't remember. Like, yeah, those repetitive tasks, those things you're doing all over again that your accountant's doing for all his customers, all that time they could save. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, good. That's why we have computers. It's not for Facebook. It's to automate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, so as far as like, you know, starting out with different tools, because, you know, understanding how HTTP works allows you to use tools like OWASP, Zap, Easier, Burp Suite. Do you recommend starting out with those tools or would you use something like the developer tools within the browser, which what's a good place to start there? I think um, a proxy really helps you. Uh I would start with uh, Burp instead of uh, Zap. For one reason is that uh, the default view in Zap is a bit confusing because you're seeing like like by default when you open both tools, I think Burp is a bit more intuitive than uh, Zap because Zap will show you like the the real request where um, like the real request Zap is receiving where. Burp will show you the request your browser is sending as if it was accessing the website. And so I think Burp is a bit more intuitive. But yeah, I will totally start with um, a, bra uh, a proxy. After a while, you really don't use proxy as much as you do. Like I use Burp a bit and Zap, but I often just curl or write a bit of script. But at the beginning, I think. Burpee good is a good way to start. Like just get the free version and yeah. And think, uh, yeah. yeah and, and thinking of those tools too, it seems like those tools have uh, made it easy enough for people to be lazy, you know, get used to using tools because before you had Burp Suite, a lot of people were having to do more scripting to do certain things and didn't have a tool to rely on. Yeah, uh, yeah, and like sometimes you get beaten and you're like, oh, I need to test this website, but Burp doesn't support this kind of like uh, smart cards or things like that. And yeah, like back in the day, it was, <laughs> it's, yeah, it was a lot harder to do all this testing. And yeah, Burp made this really easy and Zap as well. And Cat uh, at the time uh, from Context, another proxy that, yeah, doesn't exist anymore, I think. Yeah. But yeah, like, it's a good time to learn uh, hacking because like 
when I started, like there wasn't much content, there wasn't much training, there wasn't much anything really. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how it's increased like in the past nine to 10 years because I started my first pen testing job in March of 2012. And so as far as I was started studying for the OSCP, uh, Got Milk was one of the only few blogs out there that really shared information on study tips for the OSCP. And, you know, this, there was limited, you know, limited content out there. So, you know, now you've got all these different content creators that are creating these awesome content on YouTube, doing walkthroughs of these different training platforms and different vulnerable VMs. So yeah, it's a lot better now than what it was. Oh yeah. Like, uh, I think I started like doing pen test as a job in 2005 or six. Oh wow. And, like there wasn't much online. Like, and, but the French uh, scene, like between air quote, uh, I had like a few magazines and stuff. So you could find at your like local uh, press shop, like magazine about hacking. But yeah, at the time it was really limited. And yeah, like you had to read like Buck Track and uh, all of this stuff that disappeared now and or almost disappeared and like Daily Dave as, as well and things like that. Yeah, I bet it's really changed because, you know, I in 2005, I can imagine how much there must have not been out there compared to, you know, 2012 when I was getting started. I mean, there was some stuff out there, but and then the fast forward to now that there's so much out there, people streaming, you know, before there was message boards or whatever, and now people are streaming and then you got all the content on YouTube. Yeah, like uh, for people who are just starting, like go to FRAC. P-H-R-A-C-K dot org to see like old like old stuff like I think how things were and like and frack at the time was amazing like people sharing so much knowledge and then you look at that and you compare to now like it's kind of like watching people doing hacking on stream or on like YouTube it's like watching TV and you compare with like these ASCII articles and yeah it like things have changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. And even outside of even get outside the web app pen testing realm, the stuff, you know, with, with Metasploit, you know, people back at one time before I got into it, you know, had to write their own scripts and write their own tools to do this with. You had to go find a script or a tool that someone had written. You just couldn't go into Metasploit and find these things, but yeah. where it's helpful to learn those stuff is, is you don't, you know, if you're, you're, if you're going to find O days, you've got to figure out how to do this stuff manually or other ways, because if the exploit don't exist, you <laughs> yeah, you have to like, you have to like find exploits and then make sure like they weren't malicious because people were releasing like fake exploits. And then, yeah. Even the time where like Metasploit was written in Perl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that was actually before I started using it, but I could imagine. <laughs> yeah. Good old days. <laughs> so actually uh hd moore he's actually in austin texas that that created that tool yeah yeah, yeah he did a lot of good for the community yeah yeah it's pretty pretty interesting interesting stuff so uh we're getting down towards the end of the of the show uh is there anything you'd like to share that we haven't talked about or any shout outs you'd like to give or anything like that uh, shout out maybe like I think that's really good that all these people are putting training or like um, 
like all the content creator on YouTube, like so many people are spending their time, their energy. And I think it's really important to respect their work. Like some, like the amount of work you need to put into to like create a simple video on YouTube. And I'm not even talking of the quality that people like Codingo or Stoke or like all these people are spending a lot of time and not just recording and having fun, but editing, making sure it's perfect, even getting subtitled and translating them. So if like, if you don't like the content, which it's amazing content, so you should like it, but if, even if you don't like it, just, just walk, walk away. Don't spend your time, like your energy, like criticizing this content. Like if you don't like it, don't say anything. Like if you have nothing nice to say, don't say a thing. And that's, yeah. And we didn't talk as well about certification um, because I'm not a strong believer of certification. I know they can help people like uh, bypass some interview and HR, but um, try if you're like in a senior position to make sure your company is not enforcing certification as part of their hiring process. Could be HR, could be anything. Try to make sure that if you want diversity in your team, make sure that uh, certification are not mandatory to apply for a job in your company. That's it. <laughs> that, that, that's good advice. Especially you get into the web app pen testing side of things. I really don't, it's kind of really hard. You know, the network pen testing side of things, there's a lot of certifications out there. But once you get over the web app pen testing side, there's just not that much out there. Yeah, and I think the thing is certification is like a picture of someone and you don't see like how they're going to change. Like you can have a certification and be at the top of the curve and you're going to just stay there or go down. Or you can have a certification or not have a, you can have a certification and then keep picking up and up and up. So it doesn't really like it shows hiring manager or like manager where a person is or has been, it doesn't show where they could be with the right training, with the right team, with the right manager. So like, I don't think they're a good reason to filter, they're a good way to filter people, especially since they start to come, like they cost a lot of money. And, and that's a good point too, because if you take the OSCP, maybe you study really hard for a year and you passed it. And what if this person hasn't studied that hard in three years, three years from now, where their skills, you know, things have advanced, their skills haven't advanced. So it's kind of like a point in time snapshot of their skills at that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'd, and I don't mind, like people are really happy to get OSCP or over certification. And I think it's great. Like you celebrate, you're like, you did something hard and good on you, but don't use those as filter. I think would be my advice. Probably not like for people who are listening to this podcast and will be manager in probably five years or something like that, or they're going to start in a new company and help maybe in the hiring process. Make sure you do that for people. Yeah, that really, that really will help the community, I think, and help diversity in the community. And we know we need that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that's good points on the on the certifications too, because not everyone can afford that, you know, and some of these certifications, you have to be working for a company to pay for that because otherwise who can afford, you know, over $7,000 for just the course, not including the certification. 
Yeah, and even if you work for a company, you need your manager to like you enough to be able to, to be willing to spend that money on you. So it kind of, for a bit, like to an extent, it limits diversity as well. Like depending on who the manager is, it may limit even diversity like that. So I don't like, I don't think that's a good filter. So like, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good perspective. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks again for joining me. It was awesome and an honor to have you on the podcast. And thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think people are going to enjoy this episode. And thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.